episode 67 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on January 30th, 2018. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week on the show, BioWare held a short live stream where they talked about Game Update 5.7 and the upcoming roadmap. I'll tell you what Eric and Charles had to say. Is SWOTOR dying? Yeah, I'm going there, and I'll give you my thoughts on this highly debated topic. Game Update 5.7 is live, you already know what's in it, but that's not stopping me from reviewing the patch notes. And finally this week, I'll continue my story project by talking about Drum and Koss, and I'll give you some spoiler-filled thoughts on The Last Jedi. And with that, it's time to make the jump to lightspeed and check out the state of the Old Republic. Welcome to episode 67 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. As always, let's start with some announcements for the Old Republic. A new ops boss means a new contest from Bad Feeling Podcast. That's right, Brian and Chuck have once again raided the Gilded Star and are giving away 200 million credits to one lucky player. All you need to do to win is submit a screenshot of your Skyva kill to brian at badfeelingpodcast.com. Story mode counts as one entry, and veteran mode counts as two. You can enter as many times as you want. The winner will be randomly selected, and all servers are eligible. The contest will end on February 8th. As far as what's happening in-game, Bioware updated the conquest schedule through March. It's as follows. January 30th is the Titans of Industry. February 6th is the Relics of the Gree, which of course means the Gree event will be happening. February 13th is the Balance of Power. February 20th is Deathmark, which means Bounty Contract Week. February 27th is Total Galactic War. And March 6th is the Rackle Resurgence on Corellia, which means the Rackle Plague event on Corellia. Quick note about my podcast schedule. It has been a very busy January, and it's not letting up. I'm a week late on this episode, and my release schedule may not stabilize until the beginning of March. I'm going away for a couple of weeks, but I'm going to try and do at least one episode while I'm gone. I don't need much to do the podcast, and I'm pretty certain there will be news to cover while I'm out. I am looking at you, SWOTOR Roadmap. So with that, let's slice the holonet and get to the news this week. I mentioned the roadmap a second ago, and it is on the way. Eric Musco and Charles Boyd did a short live stream on Twitch where they talked about upcoming plans for Star Wars The Old Republic. First is returning companions. We saw Risha, Corso, and Andronicus return in 5.7, but that is only the beginning. Here's what Charles and Eric had to say about returning companions in 2018. We talked a little bit last year that there's a lot of companions coming back. Yeah. Um, would you say this will be like the year of the companion return? That would be a fair. Right? Yeah. People yeah. should I mean, expect. There's, there's a time. That thr- throughout yeah. Our goal is to get literally all of them. Yeah. I, I will always say that's my goal. That is very much my intent. Yep. There's a ton, I know. So we'll see how far we get with everything else we want to do this year. But uh, a whole lot. Yep. A yeah. whole, so, whole lot. So throughout 
Yes. Throughout the year, you will certainly expect to see a lot of and companions. I, I haven't heard one mentioned yet that isn't coming back. Oh, so if you're paying attention in chat, look for the names that have been mentioned, <laughs> because most likely they're certainly coming back. Yes. Um, as you heard, the goal is for everyone to come back. Some will be class only via alliance alerts, and others might be part of whatever is the main story. Remember, we still have the final chapter of the trader story, so I wouldn't be surprised if another companion were to return for that. In fact, if I had to bet on it, I would say maybe we'll see Lord Scourge or Kira return for that final bit. And then there is the roadmap. Charles and Eric gave us an updated timeline for that, and here's what they said. Uh, certainly one of the questions that's come up is, what about the roadmap? Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about it a little bit in the beginning of January, that it's still in process. Um, we don't want to leave you guys hanging, so this is about as specific as I can get from what I know right now. Our current, It looks like our current plan is you'll probably get it around mid-February. Yeah. Um, we were literally working on it today. Yeah, there's there's a draft in my inbox I need to Exactly. Read. So uh-huh. we have all that information laid out. Um, and just to reiterate, like one of the reasons that it takes a little bit for us to get them out is... January especially, we're working on like the whole year planning of all the content and stuff mm. that you guys can expect. Mm. And we don't want to give you the roadmap so we know exactly what you're going to get so we are going to we can talk really specifically. So yeah. at least the initial thing in the roadmap, there's some really, really good stuff in there that I'll talk about what you're yeah. going to see in the next few months. A lot of companion returns <laughs> that are in there. Spoilers. Um, so it should be good. So that's the roadmap. And if that weren't enough, Keith Kanig hit the forums to provide his own update on the roadmap, and this is what he wrote there. Hey all, as as Musco mentioned in the live stream yesterday, we're busy working on an update to the roadmap, which should be available in mid-February. Keep in mind, we've just released Game Update 5.7, so expect the roadmap to give you insight about the next 90 days or so. I'm not ready to discuss all of the summer events and beyond that we're planning, and I definitely will not provide any information on what's included in 6.0. So as always, Hang in there, and we'll provide you with what's going on with SWOTOR. This was a nice update from Keith, and even though it's short on details, I think there's a lot you can read into it. First, I don't think it should come as a surprise to hear that 6.0 is in the works and on the docket for this year. Based on the fact that he mentions 6.0 after bringing up summer events, I'm going to guess that 6.0 will arrive sometime this fall. That is a lot later than I was hoping. In fact, I had my fingers crossed that the official expansion announcement would come in February, in the February roadmap, and that it would launch in the spring. Alas, I fear the roadmap will just be a confirmation of things we expect to be coming to the game. The conclusion of the trader story, returning companions, conquest changes, the last boss of Gods from the Machine, and Master Mode Gods from the Machine. I can certainly see all of that getting us through May and to the next roadmap, where the expansion will be announced. Also, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the summer of SWOTOR 2018 saw a return of the Dark vs. Light event with all new rewards. I hope I'm wrong and and that the February roadmap will be full of surprises and things I didn't even know I wanted. Which brings me to my next topic. Is SWOTOR dying? The answer is no. Alright, moving on to game update 5.7. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Not about SWOTOR dying, I don't think it is. But I did want to say a few things about that subject. The death of Star Wars The Old Republic has been a hot topic lately between the lack of news and updates, videos declaring the game dead, and more recently an article from Kotaku about Bioware's upcoming game Anthem. 
many people see the game as staring off into the twin sunsets about to become one with the Force. It's the Kotaku article that set off the most alarm bells. The article was written by Jason Schreier and is called BioWare Doubles Down on Anthem as Pressure Mounts. The gist of the article is that failure is not an option for Anthem, and so to ensure its success, BioWare is prepared to pull out all of the stops, including, as Schreier wrote, ending development on the multiplayer online game Star Wars The Old Republic. Schreier did go on to say that one person familiar with the studio told him that plans are still up in the air. The effect of all this is that those who hate the game and want to believe that it's in its death throes now feel empowered in their beliefs. Meanwhile, people like myself feel compelled to come to the game's defense. The common argument as to why the game is not dying is that BioWare is still producing content for it. As I mentioned earlier, the roadmap is on the way, and a new expansion in 2018 is all but assured. But just because BioWare is still creating content for SWOTOR doesn't mean the end isn't near. There is always something in the pipeline for Star Wars The Old Republic. On December 7th, Charles Boyd did an interview with author Timothy Zahn. Charles took questions from players, and one person asked if Timothy Zahn was currently working on anything for Star Wars The Old Republic. This was his response. Uh, Lyriel on Facebook asks, Mr. Zahn... Does your being here mean you're writing for SWOTOR in some fashion? It means, one, we're doing this uh, stream, and two, I am pitching for all I am worth to do something (laughs) more because I really would like to do uh, some more work with uh, the Old Republic and the Old Republic game. He says this as though we need any persuasion whatsoever (laughs) to to work with you again. It's been, uh, I'm just droning on at this point, but it's been such a pleasure, so... Uh, yeah, no, we hope. I, yeah, we very much hope. Yeah, we would very much like to do more. Uh, nothing to announce right now, um, yeah. but uh, mostly we brought him here today to first of all get him a chance to check out the studio in person a little bit more. We mostly work remotely, yeah, and uh, give him a little taste of Austin. Uh, also, also bear in mind that you're what about a year out at least. So at if we point. made an agreement tomorrow, it would be at least a year before anything showed up anyway. So right. the fact you don't see anything from me in the next six months Doesn't means mean nothing. Much. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. it's, it's anything that involves animation, computer work, is going to have a very long lead time. Yeah, yeah. And just, I'm sure most of you understand that already. just want to remind you of that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep you all posted yeah. as, as things develop. It takes a lot of lead time to produce content for this game. That doesn't mean everything for this year is finished and they're just waiting for the right time to release it. The reality is... When the higher-ups in EA decide to pull the plug on SWOTOR, there will be content in the pipeline. The game will go offline with unreleased content. If they did ha- didn't have anything in the works, then there'd be no reason to keep the game going. To me, the bigger sign that the game isn't dying is that people are still passionate about it. And it's not just subscribers and content makers. There are plenty of people who don't play the game who still talk about it, and who still care about it. When that changes, the game will be dying. When people who hate the game stop wishing they didn't hate the game, the game will be dying. When people who hate the game stop hating people who love the game, the game will be dying. When people who love the game stop streaming it, when people who love the game stop blogging about it, and making videos about it, and doing podcasts about it, the game will be dying. When people stop watching streams and reading blogs and listening to podcasts, the game will be dying. When people quit Star Wars The Old Republic, 
and never return and never give it another thought, the game will be dying. When people stop caring about the game, it will be harder to justify keeping it alive, and then the game will be dead. It wasn't over when the Zakul Empire sacked Coruscant, and it's not over now. Seventh anniversary, a new expansion, 2018 is going to be a good year for Star Wars The Old Republic. Alright, moving on to Game Update 5.7. For real this time, it's been out there a week, but just in case you're like me and haven't had much time to check it out, here's what's in it. There's a new operation boss, Skyva. Known as the Mother of Sorrows, Skyva is a nigh-indestructible threat. Your team will have to take advantage of every resource at hand to prevail. There are returning companions, Risha and Corso. The smuggler's old allies emerge from the shadowy galactic underworld to help out their old captain once more. And then there's Andronicus. After plundering ships across the galaxy, Andronicus finally comes face to face with the Sith Inquisitor he once served so faithfully. Now about those companions, you may be wondering if there are any prerequisites to getting them, other than being a smuggler or Sith Inquisitor, and there are. According to Eric Musco, you must have completed the Knights of the Eternal Throne story. The reason for this requirement is that the story of these companions takes place after the events of Knights of the Eternal Throne. Now as to whether or not these companions will be made available to other classes through something like the Companion Locator Terminal, don't expect that anytime soon. According to Eric, it is not something they can do quickly, but they are absolutely aware of the feedback. Some other items of note. The Dark versus Light Tracker will no longer clip outside of the galaxy map. Right-clicking on a character in the guild window will now change the player's selection to that character. When entering a random group via Activity Finder, the group leader will now be assigned based on criteria such as character level and command rank. In the Activity Finder, if a player selects an activity within a filter, that category will now be selected automatically. For example, a player goes into the filter for Story Uprisings and selects Crimson Fang. Story Uprisings will now be checked for Q in the Activity Finder. The price per unit listing on the GTN will now be rounded to the nearest whole number. No trying to spoof... uh, your prices and and put things at ridiculously expensive prices. I think that's partly what this corrects other than just being visually appealing. So that's actually a pretty good change. Uh, Under flashpoints and operations and uprisings, players are no longer blocked from progressing through the Kuat drives, yards, cutscenes. Master mode operations now reward the correct quantity of unassembled components. I don't run master mode operations, so... Depending on whether they were granting too few or too many, this is either a buff or a nerf. Under missions and NPCs, the bonus mission for a traitor among the Chiss will now grant grant command experience as intended. Imperial players will no longer go to the Republic version of the Rakul Tunnels if they quick travel there. Players who complete the Scientific Endeavors mission on Belsavis will no longer be blocked from completing Belsavis Reborn. Under war zones, the Yavin Ruins war zones will no longer pop at a higher frequency than other war zones. The following changes are being made to solo PvP and ranked daily missions. And the missions will reward 40 unassembled components up from 30. And the mission will reward 150 ranked Season 9 tokens as intended up from 0. 
Also, there were changes being made to the solo PvP ranked weekly. Mission re- the mission will reward 250 unassembled components, up from 200. And the mission will reward 1,000 ranked Season 9 tokens as intended. And again, this is up from zero. Missions now also reward three charged matter transubstantiators. And achievements which are earned in the Yavin 4 War Zone will no longer reset. And players who are not wearing augments or who have augments below item rating 208 will now have bolstered stats as if they were equipped with item rating 208 augments, and this is up from 150. And saving the best for last, there's this. The respawn time for Valen Korik on Droman Kaas has been greatly reduced. Defeating him is an objective for the heroic mission Possessed Hunter. Without a doubt, the best quality of life change to hit the game in a long while. I wanted to break out the Wayback Machine as the spawn timer for Valen Korik as a long-standing pet peeve of mine. I'm certain I've talked about this on a prior episode, but I wasn't able to find out which one. It's somewhere between episodes 1 and 16, though. I have tweeted about this issue, and I wrote a blog post about it almost a year ago. Anyway, they finally fixed it, and I'll be curious to see what they've reduced it down to. Knowing the way the devs work, they probably went from one extreme to the other, which means he'll now spawn immediately after you kill him, and he'll aggro you before you've even finished looting him, and you'll now be in this vicious cycle where you can't stop fighting him. And that's going to do it for Game Update 5.7. I now want to continue updating you on my story project that I started last episode. If you recall, I'm currently playing all eight classes and moving them through their class, companion, and planetary stories all at once. The goal is to find a playthrough that works chronologically. I'm not going for canon here. Last week, I talked about the starter planets, Hutta, Korriban, Ord Mantell, and Tython. This week, I'm going to discuss Dromond Kass. Before I begin, I want to warn you that I'm going to get into spoilers and plot points and play some clips. So if you haven't done all of the class stories or other stories that are part of the 1 to 50 experience, you might want to bow out now. For the rest of you, I want to start with a brief recap of the Imperial side of the story. Oh, and I'm going to refer to the characters as he or she based on the gender I chose for my characters. It just makes it easier to talk about them. There is absolutely nothing about the story that suggests you must choose a specific gender for a class, although... There are certain story moments that you can only experience as male or female. Well, here is the Imperial story thus far. A lowly slave with Force sensitivity is sent to Korriban to undergo the Sith trials. Overseer Harkin does everything he can to see that she fails. Despite the impossible odds, she passes the trials and becomes the apprentice of Lord Zash. As we'll discover throughout the story, everything that transpired on Korriban were according to the designs of Lord Zash. Also happening on Korriban, Overseer Tremel summons a warrior to the Sith Academy to undergo the Sith trials much sooner than normal. Shortcuts are provided so he can pass through the trials quickly. His success catches the eye of Darth Barris. Barris sees potential in the new Acolyte, but is not happy that shortcuts were taken. He orders the Acolyte to kill Overseer Tremel and then offers the warrior a chance to compete for the honor of becoming his new apprentice. The warrior passes the trials and becomes Darth Barriss' new apprentice. Meanwhile, on Hutta, 
a rising star of a bounty hunter, is recruited by a veteran bounty hunter named Brayden, who wants to get her into the Great Hunt. She'll need to gain sponsorship from Nemro the Hut. A Mandalorian named Terrell Blood is hell-bent on winning the Great Hunt, and the only thing in his way are the upstart bounty, bounty hunters who require sponsorship. Blood can't kill the competitors directly, so he's sabotaging them by having his lackeys take out their crews. Brayden is killed, but with the help of, of surviving team member Mako, the bounty hunter overcomes several challenges and earns Nemro the Hutt's sponsorship into the Great Hunt. Finally, a new Imperial agent arrives on Hutta. His mission is to convince Nemro the Hutt that if he wishes to feed his rivals and remain a kingpin on Hutta, he needs to form an alliance with the Empire. Going undercover and posing as the notorious pirate, the Red Blade, the agent works to cripple Nemro's main rival, Fathra the Hutt, and convince Nemro that Fathra is in league with the Republic. The agent succeeds at his mission, and in the end, Nemro reaches out to the Empire for support. And with that, the story now moves to the capital world of the Sith Empire, the dark and foreboding Dromund Kaas. For Droman Kass, the recommended play order is Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Imperial Agent, and Sith Warrior. And I assume this to mean play each class all of the way through before switching. Droman Kass has a lot of tie-ins, although they are indirect. Think of it like the Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Imperial Agent, and Sith Warrior all attending the same party, but not interacting with one another. Drummond Cause focuses on three main events. There is the slave revolt happening over the construction of a giant statue known as the Colossus. There is an incursion into the rogue Sith Lord Grathen's estate. And then there are strange happenings at the Dark Temple. Each of the four stories cross these events. So why the recommended play order of Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Imperial Agent, and Sith Warrior? It partly comes down to the slave rebellion. In the Bounty Hunter story, not much is revealed about it. The Colossus isn't referred to by name. It's just a big statue. When the Inquisitor gets sent there, we have a few more details. The statue is referred to as the Colossus, and Lord Zash states that the Rebellion has started recently. For the Imperial Agent, we learn that the Rebellion has been going on for a few months. And finally, for the Sith Warrior, we learn that Darth Barriss is the one responsible for starting the Rebellion, and so, in a way, the Warrior is bringing that storyline to a close, although that's really not true. I went and tried out the recommended order, and in the end, I came up with a different one. I actually found two options. One involves a lot of swapping back and forth and logging in and out. It's perhaps a little more accurate, but it's also inconvenient. This order has you running each class through the same area, one after the other. For the Slave Revolt, I'd go Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Imperial Agent, and Sith Warrior. For Lord Grathen's Estate, I'd go Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Imperial Agent, and Sith Warrior. And for the Dark Temple, I'd go Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Sith Warrior, and then end with the Imperial Agent. And there's a lot of back and forth, and as I said, it can be inconvenient, especially for swapping gear. 
an alternative order of play is Bounty Hunter all the way through, Sith Inquisitor all the way through, Imperial Agent through Lord Grathen's estate, and then the Sith Warrior all the way through, and then the Imperial Agent through the Dark Temple and finishing Droman Kass. For me, the Slave Rebellion was a wash. I didn't find anything that mandated a specific order of play. Given that Darth Barath started the Rebellion, you would think that the Warrior's going there to end the revolt, but that's not the case at all. In fact, this is his mission. Commander Bridge at your service, my lord. Lord Barris informed me you'd be paying us a visit. I'm prepared to offer full assistance. News travels fast. Lord Barris is nothing if not efficient. Let me follow his lead and bring you up to speed. There's been much unrest in these parts recently, my lord, capped off by a violent slave revolt that has the surrounding jungles overrun with armed slaves. Then they're not slaves anymore, are they? I stand corrected, my lord. Former slaves. What no one knows is that Lord Barris orchestrated the insurgents to disrupt one of his rivals, and he wants his involvement kept secret. Now the slave captains who led the revolt are threatening to expose Barris's involvement unless they receive more potent weapons. Slaves. They're never satisfied. Having been a slave for a period of time, I'd say that's an understatement. I think they know better than to blackmail a Sith Lord. Lord Barris wants you to kill enough of the blackmailing slave captains to make the others lose their resolve. As you can see, the Sith warrior's job is just to keep the slave leaders from outing Darth Barris. He's not there to end things. In fact, after the mission, you get an email from Darth Barris that contains a status report from Commander Pritch. It reads as follows. The slave captains are dead, my lord. Your apprentice exterminated every voice foolish enough to attempt blackmail against you. The surviving slaves waged the revolt you designed with renewed strength. They now know the price of disappointing the great Darth Barris. I found the slave revolt did not dictate an order of play. Now looking at Lord Grathen's estate, again, I didn't see an order of play, although I do like the Sith warrior going in there last, simply because he deals directly with Lord Grathen, and it's a fitting conclusion to this area. I also like sending the bounty hunter to Lord Grathen's first, primarily from this conversation with Admiral Forbal. Lord Grathen is a paranoid madman. His compound is built to withstand a siege, but a lone infiltrator will take them by surprise. My daughter is somewhere inside Lord Grathen's compound. Her name is Veretta. You will know her as she resembles me closely. You get the sense from this conversation that the incursion into Lord Grathen's estate hasn't begun yet. And when you return, it sounds like all hell has broken loose there. Reports of the raid on Lord Grathen's estate are pouring in. I trust you were successful in your endeavor. My daughter, Veretta, is... I'm sorry. This can't be easy for you. Thank you, Hunter. Empathy from one of your class level is surprising. Here, take your credits and go. Moving on to the Dark Temple, I like going Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Sith Warrior, and then Imperial Agent. The key for me here is having the Agent go last. The stories don't overlap, but the ending of the Imperial Agent story is huge. The Agent goes to the Dark Temple to thwart the plans of some dissidents that are planning an attack on Kos City. The Agent is successful, but when he returns, he learns that the Dark Temple was a ruse and that the real target was Darth Jadis. His ship, the Dominator, which was in orbit over Droman Kos, is destroyed. The agent returns to Imperial Intelligence to find the place in utter chaos. 
We've got wreckage coming down over the city. From that height and at that velocity, the collateral damage alone could cost millions. If the reactor core was breached, the radiation damage will... I don't care about the radiation damage, dammit. Get me security footage, communications logs, something we can use. Shouldn't someone be celebrating our successful return? All military channels are reporting in. The Dominator has been completely destroyed. What's the situation? It's good to see you. There was a secondary target. Apparently... Watcher 2, I still need confirmation. And you, Agent, get ready to move. We need everyone operational. Sorry, sir. But there were over 3,000 people on that ship. Half of them civilians. I'm aware of that. Do your job, Watcher 2. Run the numbers. Lockdown procedures are in place. All traffic has been grounded. Initial analysis is done. Cross-checking with the droids. Getting conflicting reports from the Car City spaceport. Trying to sort it out. Nothing could have survived that explosion. All sources confirm casualties are 100%. Then Darth Jadis is dead. A member of the Dark Council assassinated and the starport on lockdown. I can't help but feel that if the Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, and Sith Warrior were still on planet, this event would have bled into their stories. I find that finishing the agent story last provides a clean ending to Droman Koss. So once again, my preferred play order for Droman Koss is this. Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Imperial Agent, and Sith Warrior through the Slave Revolt. The Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Imperial Agent, and Sith Warrior through Lord Grathen's estate. And then finally, the Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, Sith Warrior, and Imperial Agent through the Dark Temple. A slightly more convenient order that I believe still works is Bounty Hunter, Sith Inquisitor, all of the way through, then Imperial Agent through Lord Grathen's estate, and then the Sith Warrior all the way through, and then finishing up with the Imperial Agent. In terms of the side missions, there was a lot that I skipped here. I found the missions related to the Slavery Vault worked well for the Sith Warrior, since he was there to clean things up. I also found that the mission from Lord Alaric to seal the tombs in the Dark Temple was perfect for the Sith Inquisitor, as it provided background into her story. The Dark Temple is ancient, built during a previous incarnation of our empire. A thousand years ago, our own emperor buried his enemies here. These enemies remain powerful, even in death, which is why the temple was sealed. But now, something terrible has happened. Some idiot went and woke them up. With the Emperor's attention elsewhere, a group of ambitious but ignorant Sith thought to gain power by raiding the temple. They didn't find the relics they sought. Instead, they awoke an ancient Sith Lord, Lord Kallig, and their expedition plunged into madness. For the Imperial Agent story, you get a bonus mission inside Imperial Intelligence to get to know some of the people working there. When you talk to Watcher 3, I recommend that you choose the option to ask him about the other Watchers. This is his response. How many Watchers are there, anyway? Only Keeper knows for sure. I've never met a Watcher with a designation higher than four. Watcher 1's on assignment right now, so it's just me and Watcher 2 here. Anyway, I should get back to work. I'm on surveillance duty, and I don't want to miss anything. Good man. Make sure that you don't. Of course. I won't keep you. He mentions Watcher 1, and as we'll find out later, Watcher 1 is on assignment on Terrace and is part of the Jedi Knight story. And then finally, if you play a male Sith warrior and you choose not to kill Lady Grathen, it potentially leads to this creepy encounter 
which is perhaps one of the least Star Warsy moments you'll ever find. You have served us well, my new friend. Perhaps you could show your appreciation in a more personal manner. Aren't you the rogue? You freed me from an inconvenient husband and put me in control of this house. Let me show you my appreciation. In private. Whoa! Wait a minute. You're not seriously considering this. You have really terrible taste in women. Keep your opinions to yourself. You should keep your hands to yourself. But it's your life. Now that we've cleared that up, all this talk is making me impatient. Beelslet, find something to do, will you? Your mother needs some privacy. Yes, mother. And are you going to dismiss your Twi'lek? She never leaves my side. You've got to be kidding me. Well, well, well. Whatever you say. It's your party. Well, that wraps up Droman Kass. Coruscant will be next, and I will get to that in either episode 68 or 69. For my final topic today, I want to talk a little more about The Last Jedi, and yes, it will contain spoilers. If by some weird twist of fate you haven't seen The Last Jedi, stop listening and go see it. If nothing else, it's not going to be in theaters much longer. Time is running out. Well, a listener named Matt wrote in with a question about Ray's parents. Hey, Ted, love the podcast. I want to get your thoughts on Ray's parents, or lack of, I guess. I remember J.J. Abrams saying he couldn't use Ray or Finn's last names because it would be spoilery. I know Johnson is not Abrams, but I can't help but feel a bit misled. The Last Jedi is an awesome movie, and Ray's parents aren't going to change that for me. Maybe Episode Nine still has more on Ray and Finn's heritage. What do you think? Shortly after The Last Jedi was released, Ryan Johnson did an interview with Collider. In the interview, Johnson was asked, So, can I just make the statement, that's who her parents are? They came from nothing? They're buried in the desert? Is that for sure? And Johnson replied, That's what Kylo sees, and that's what he tells her, and I think he's not lying in that moment. That's what he saw, and she seems to believe it when she hears it. I'm not writing the next film. We'll see how they handle it going forward. And as we all know in these movies, there's always a certain point of view that's involved. I can understand why that answer doesn't feel good. It's not supposed to feel good. It's supposed to be the hardest thing she could possibly hear in that moment. I don't know what, if anything, J.J. Abrams had in mind for Ray's parents. He may have had ideas, but it doesn't look like he passed them along to Ryan Johnson, telling him, this is where I was headed. It seems clear at this point that when it comes to this trilogy, they're building the X-Wing as they're flying it. As to what J.J. Abrams might do, I have no idea. If he's looking for alternatives for Ray's origins, Ryan Johnson apparently has a giant list of them. In an interview with Filmcast, Johnson said, I honestly listed everything I could think of, even awful possibilities where I said, this is not what we're going to do. I mean, the less silly one was, is she a clone? Anything that's a theory on Reddit now, I guarantee was listed on that document. The silliest one was, is she a robot? Okay, we've seen a biomechanical, realistic flesh hand on Luke. Could the technology have advanced significantly in the 30 years? And then I just started laughing. Look forward to the Ray was almost a robot robot headlines. J.J. Abrams served up a bunch of mysteries that Ryan Johnson summarily dismissed. 
In doing so, he really shook things up with The Last Jedi. He didn't just say that your Snoke theory sucks. He said that Snoke sucks. And he got rid of him in what was probably the best scene in the entire film. What made that scene great was not just its homage to Return of the Jedi, nor the great action sequence that ensued with Rey and Kylo fighting side by side. It was its placement in the trilogy. This was the conclusion of Return of the Jedi, and we got it about two-thirds of the way through the second act. Abrams is now left with the challenge of wrapping this all up with no clear direction on where the story should go. Episode 9 will be the final film in this trilogy, but I feel like they're going to need a fourth film to end it all. And speaking of ending it all, that's going to wrap it up for today. Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 67 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can listen to the show directly from the show's site, which is SotorPodcast.com, and there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SotorPodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 68 on, oh, I don't know, sometime in February. Until then, remember the Sith Code. Cake is a lot.